it's easy to sometimes be only wanting to or be inspired and comparing yourself that, oh, the only way that I could call myself a successful coach is if I have a million dollar business. I think we have to redefine, you know, how we want to work in our coaching business. What's enough for mm -hmm. us? What's successful on our terms? What mattered the most is that I can go to bed at night knowing that how I was operating my business was really in alignment with my choices, with my values, with my strengths and not doing anything that, you know, didn't make me feel good. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Lydia. It's great to have you here joining me today. Thank you for having me. And as I said, thank you for not getting me up at five in the morning to have this interview, which is what I usually have to do living in Bali. <laughs> yeah, but see, uh, people here in Australia, we get that. We understand what it's like on this side of the world. There's, uh, yes, it's, it's different. <laughs> yes. Why don't you start off by sharing with our listeners exactly what it is that you do and the kinds of people that you work with? Yeah. So I'm the founder of Screw the Cubicle. I think just the name itself would probably, you know, whatever you're thinking I'm about, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a work reinvention coach and a small business strategist. So I primarily work with corporate professionals, usually in mid-career, uh, that are looking to start something independent. Uh, and they also want to be repurposing a lot of what they already know how to do. And sometimes because their resumes are kind of scattered and varied, you know, they've had like 20 years of experience, what my job is to kind of help them define what's their next body of work, you know, mm -hmm. based on what they're great at, based on what they're deeply interested in, and most importantly, how they want to impact with their work. Mm -hmm. And I really help with the inaugural stage of the building blocks, the foundational building blocks of building a business. Because, you know, my belief is that we want to build a business we want to keep. <laughs> not just, you know, you can build a business that's profitable, but sometimes uh -huh. not a business you enjoy. Exactly. And I think that's a huge part for longevity. And I think uh, it's easy to say, build a business you love, right? But sometimes we have to actually dig deeper into how our behaviors, what are some of the boundaries, right, that we want to put in our business so that we are in our zone of genius rather mm -hmm. than thinking that we have to do all the things to be successful, you know? So I take a much more holistic approach in helping people identify, you know, how do their businesses align with their lifestyle choices? Mm -hmm. How much do they want to work? How do they want to work? Who do they want to work with? And what sorts of scope of work do they want to focus their energy on? So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Yeah. And the people, I know those people very well, are people that are real experts at what they do and they have such a deep knowledge in things and they don't know how to, to pull that knowledge apart for what to do next. Um, how do you help people to start to get clarity on what it is that they could possibly do? Because I feel that a lot of those people just have got no idea what they can do moving forward. 
Yeah. And I think all of us experience this because when you're the one living your life, it's really hard to be like an external observer to uh-huh. kind of go, oh, these were the meaningful moments in my career. Right. So in a lot of ways, I start with kind of taking them down a trip to memory lane. You know, why did you even start with the industry you started with to begin with? You know, because what I realize sometimes is that people actually aren't they're still passionate about the work they do, but they're not passionate about the container they have to do it in, you know, in that nine to five. Right boundary in the way that it's not flexible for them or in a lot of ways sometimes when you move up the corporate ladder you have to do more things you know so you're in charge of like 101 things and you've forgotten what is your special thing anyway yeah, <laughs> because absolutely. every right every corporation wants you to be a jack and jill of all trades so that was the way to move up corporate whereas in entrepreneurship the more focused right and more narrow your ideas are the better right to mm-hmm, be able to mm-hmm. attract more clients so that is a huge mindset shift to sort of narrow down what it is they can do but part of it is we really start with looking at their story looking at the reason why they start in a particular industry. Maybe down the road, it got tainted by bad bosses or, you know, things they didn't want to do. But at some point when things were fresh and untainted, there was a real purpose, you know, in choosing a particular direction. And let's remind ourselves what that is. And if you had autonomy over how you want to create that job, how would you want to do it differently than how you've been doing it in corporate? Mm. The other part is I really focus on, there's a whole you know piece that I do on what I call the sweet spot. And the sweet spot sort of looks like these, these three round circles as a Venn diagram, right? And to, in order to get to those three, uh, to that sweet spot, we have to kind of look at your skill sets. Where do you have mastery over that sometimes you may have disregarded because it felt so natural? So I get a lot of people in academia, for example, that have seen things done in a certain, you know, paint by numbers way. And mm-hmm. it's really hard for them to imagine how, how else could I use these skills in a different way? How do I redeploy this into a different direction? And so we talk about that and we talk about where their mastery can help them to serve in an area that's really necessary, but also something they're more attracted to, you know, or people that they're, you know, they think that they want to help more. The second piece of that sweet spot is what I call deep interests. Mm -hmm. And deep interest is not just about I'm good at my job, but there is a a reason for you to do what you do. And also you are so obsessed with that topic, you know, not just the skill set, but how it helps people or the ripple effect of how it helps people that when you're reading about it, when you're researching about it or upskilling about it, it's not like you're counting down the clock, you know, Mm -hmm. of when can I stop doing this, right? Mm -hmm. So deep interest to me is part of longevity. If we're interested in a particular topic and a particular niche, then it's going to help us to grow our business more easily. And then the last part is impact, you know, like does your work ripple through to a cause, you know, that you believe in, you know, for a lot of my clients, for example, you know, they're moms and they have this kind of nagging feeling that I think we need more opportunities for women that corporates just will never be able to provide for us if we want to have babies and Mm -hmm. also want to have a career, (laughs) you know, so what they do for, you know, women business owners might be business related activities, but the ripple effect of that, right, is that, hey, with my work, it translates to this woman being able to stay at home, be able to raise her babies, being able to be successful and have a role beyond motherhood, right? So yeah, yeah. that all that I think really helps to encompass a great business idea. And then once they get to that sweet spot and what I call the right for right now idea, because you know our business will evolve in time, I really help them to build the beginning pieces of simplifying how to get this business off the ground without complicated strategies or, you know, the automated ways of doing a business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm taking it that you came from a corporate career. I would love to know 
what was the journey that you went on? Because obviously you're very clear on helping that people do that now. How did you deal with moving from corporate and what did you personally go through and how did you come through this journey to decide what you're doing now? Because I'm guessing it wasn't as easy as having that Venn diagram. No, I mean, in a lot of ways, I was trying to find someone like me <laughs> because I, I had to combine it with a therapist and a business coach. You know, I was like, okay, kind of got what I wanted, but I kind of was like, how could I find a business coach that actually, instead of just talking about the business, because I know I need to start a business, I get that, and having a business coach is valuable for that, but I needed something a step before which is like what answering the question of what business should I start with the skills and strengths I've got? How do I know that's the business I want to start? How do I take stock of my experience and actually figure out like, you know, not fall into the trap of creating a job I don't want to go to in my business, except I'm the boss and I can't fire myself, you know, because Uh, that's what happened to me. uh Right. And uh so, and here's the thing. I did not start screw the cubicle as my first business. Mm -hmm. My first business was a transitional business out of corporate. I used to belong in the international education industry. I was a business development director working for a private school and a big organization with the embassy of Canada, promoting education in Canada. And so what was sort of the easiest, what I call my transitional business was being a consultant, you know, and starting a consulting agency within the industry, because I had the contacts, I had the know how, right? I knew how the Mm -hmm, system mm -hmm, worked. mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, six to nine months after I started that business, even though it replaced my income, even though I got to wear no pants and do my work at home, which was lovely, I didn't feel meaning. And I then I realized meaning was hugely important in the way I operated that if I wanted to get up in the morning and had the, you know, zest to want to build this business, I have to care about what it is I'm selling. And I did not care about what it was I was selling. I just moved it into an independent business, but how I felt about work didn't change. Mm. You know, that was a huge realization for me. And so Screw the Cubicle actually started as a blog. It started as a journal that I had around my whole identity crisis, leaving corporate because I left corporate at my highest success. I was being offered, I was the youngest person in that organization to be offered a partnership. I was making a a really great six-figure income, bought my first house, right? All the things you're supposed to do in your 20s. And I was very miserable. And the catalyst for change for me is that I had a mental breakdown at a business trip in Russia in 2013 or 2012, sorry. Uh uh And that left me with experiencing temporary agoraphobia for two days. I couldn't leave the hotel room. Wow. And I had a meltdown. I had a panic attack in my hotel room and my physical body shut down from all the stress and anxiety I was experiencing in that job. Uh-huh. And also part of it was kind of my fault. I hadn't taken a holiday for two years at that point. So, you know, that catches up to you. Your body's like, no, you think you can go on? We're going to put you down. Yep. Yeah. Because <laughs> this ain't this ain't healthy and this ain't sustainable. But that was as painful as it was, you know, as I always say, every breakthrough, you can choose to, uh, every breakdown, you can choose to have a breakthrough, right? Is that that circumstance, that event set the motion, you know, for me to go, okay, I can't continue this way. I have to figure out what's right for me. And if money in the bank is what's going to save me, I have to think a little deeper about mm-hmm. what, how I want to define success, how I want to define my happiness and how I wanted to define work, you know, for myself. And so when I started that blog for no intention for it to be a business, I didn't even know what a coach was, Mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't until a lawyer from Toronto messaged me on the site and said, I love what you've been writing. I'm exactly in the same position you were at. How much does it cost to coach with you? And I remember Samantha, I had to Google 
what a coach was. Like that was how much I had no clue about what that industry was all about. And so that was, again, the other seed planted where I followed my nose down the road of curiosity and went, okay, well, someone finds it valuable to read my words and get my advice, even if it's just this one lawyer to start with, maybe there's something here I can explore, you Mm -hmm. know? And then I gave myself an experimentation project for eight weeks where I took on eight guinea pigs of coaching clients. And Uh I said to them very transparently, I've never coached before, but what I know how to do is what I've done. And I'm going to support you and be, if anything, I'll be a good sounding board, you know, and a good feedback partner for how you might be able to navigate the choices you need to make in leaving corporate. But we're going to collaborate together. And maybe at the end of this thing, you'll be supporting me to create something that is going to be meaningful and valuable for people. And so I was very thankful for these eight guinea pigs because it showed me what was possible, what I knew more than I thought I knew, you know, and also helped me to discover who I wanted to work with, who I never wanted to work with, what sort of problems I want to solve. And, you know, it helped me construct my first offer for my coaching business. Mm, I love that because there's no success story that goes in a straight line from A to B. They're just, it's not a thing. And, you know, a lot of business is a journey of self-exploration, but I also believe that we everything that happens happens for a reason so even when people think oh i think i've got it you know there's going to be lessons that come out to that that's going to give you the empathy or to give you the knowledge or the experience exactly like you said to be able to move forward not just to pull together your methodologies but to even pull together you know who do i want to work with who do i not like to work with this is not the hours that i want to be running and you know what you said about creating that life that you want that certainly happened to me in my first business too i left my corporate career to start a business to have more freedom and next thing i'm working from 8 in the morning till 9 or right. 10 at night and i'm like hang on a minute this is not this is not yeah. what i signed up for that's right exactly and i think you know i think sometimes it is hard for us to take that necessary pause in the beginning because a lot of the message out there is kind of a hustle mentality you know you got to you got to kill yourself to have your business you have to work hard and i'm i'm all about hard work and i'm all about deep work 100% you know but i also think that our health and our mental wellness is a really important part of us being better business owners. Because if you're burnt out and you're stretched too thin, you ain't going to be valuable Mm -hmm. to your clients, you know? And so you're causing a disservice to yourself and to the people you want to serve, right? Uh, But I also, I think in, in my story, what I really learned from that too, is that sometimes your gifts aren't on your resume. Sometimes your gifts are actually part and parcel of the store you've lived, the milestones you've achieved that you did on your very own. No one paid you to do it. And, you know, you may have been spreading the message for free in a lot of ways. You know, I was talking through things with my friends, my colleagues were getting free advice. Like none of that, I'd never put two and two together, you know, that this was something I could do for work because as, you know, at that point, a very traditional careerist, I was really only looking at, I'm only allowed to do work in my resume because that's the credibility you know, the mm-hmm. and credentials that I can rely on. And what I really forgot that sometimes credentials are in real experiences. Mm-hmm. The fact that you've done something for yourself, there could be a clue there that, you know, that might be something you might be passionate to share with others too. Totally. You talked about balance and I definitely agree with this too. 
I'm not for all about hustle, but I also, I personally believe there are times that we do need to hustle in our business. And there's times where we don't, where we do need to be still and, and let the messages come in. How did you balance that for yourself when you were starting your coaching business? Because obviously you still had your consulting business. You were moving across into this coaching business. You were doing something new, pulling together new methodologies, learning coaching. How did you create the balance? And I was moving at the time that when I launched through the cubicle as a business, I had just moved to Bali. That was seven years ago. Oh, you've been <laughs> so, in Bali seven years? Seven years. Yes. It's my anniversary this month, actually, oh, September 2020. And yeah, so as I was juggling two businesses, I, I would really say at that point, my core, you know, money generating business was my right consulting business, which was making money. And then I had this side hustle, right, which is screw the cubicle. And I was still testing things at the time, you know, writing, but not really putting all my eggs in that basket. Because for me, you know, having security and having a balance and making sure, you know, that I could put food on the table, I could have savings and things like that was important to me. And in a way, part of my choice to move to Bali was a good one and good timing at the time. Because when I moved to Bali, a lot of my expenses went down at least by half too, uh -huh, uh -huh. right? So that actually allowed me to have some financial spaciousness to be able to take my foot off the pedal a little bit with my consulting business, like not to get more clients, just kind of maintain it, you mm -hmm. know, and then be able to commit to actually building my coaching practice. Uh -huh. And that was a decision. It's, I think with everything we do, you can have both. You can kind of have two businesses at the same time, but we do have to consciously choose, right? We have to consciously choose where am I over committing Mm -hmm. And where am I under committing, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, I, I wanted to commit to my coaching business because it brought me joy, brought me a level and a feeling of work I did not experience in my money generating business. So I had to decide if this is an important value for me right now that I need to make some choices in my lifestyle choices, in my spending habits, you know, in all these things to be able to create space to try something new, right? Mm -hmm. And so... When I started to have more time to work on Screw the Cubicle, it took another probably five to six months from moving to Bali to finally close down my consulting agency to then doing Screw the Cubicle full time. So, you know, it wasn't, again, an overnight thing. It was slowly, slowly as, you know, they both one picked up above the other. That's when I, again, created some safe conditions, you know, for me to make that transition and that change to, to my business. And then I have to say, Samantha, you know, I wouldn't say that I learned to balance my time and lifestyle choices till probably the third year of my business, you know, uh -huh. because I too was kind of very trapped into doing more to have more, you know, that scarcity mentality from being an immigrant child, you know, coming from a poor family, that money mindset can sometimes still, right, project uh -huh. itself uh -huh. as a business owner. And so I was always the girl that had my mother's voice in my head to go, you better work twice as hard as everyone else to be somebody because, you know, we're not anybody until we do that. And that belief was in my head for such a long time that I was working that time you were working, like that 8 to 10 p.m. kind of hours because I thought that was expected of me to be able to gain success, you know. And then I had my second burnout. That was what changed for me is that I had another massive burnout during my during another really great year, revenue year in my business, which also helped me to stop again and really think about the choices I was making in my business, the multiple offers I had, and you know, and that I really valued time. I valued 
my life, you know, the reason why I moved to Bali was to have a better lifestyle, was uh-huh. to have better access to travel and be doing things I love, like yoga and going for walks and hiking and not work eight hour days, you know? And so I had to kind of redefine what was enough was enough for me. You know, with a girl with some scarcity mental mentality, that was a hard question. What is enough? You know, and figuring that on a practical level with, you know, the numbers, getting the numbers right on what is enough for the life I want to lead and how can I get to that revenue, get to that financial goal in a way that's simplified, in a way that isn't more work and to work smarter, you know, Mm -hmm. and not harder. So, as the other burnout, you know, existed, it again propelled me to make changes that was really necessary. Was it a scary time? Were you afraid to make that change out of what you knew was working and going into your coaching business? Like what were the thought processes around that? Was it, you know, from the burnout, was it, oh, I had my back against the wall and this was an easy transition or was it, I'm really afraid that this might not work? Oh, I was terrified because in a lot of ways, it's like it was working. It was working on paper, mm-hmm. you know, the brand was picking up. I was getting huge media coverage. It's all the success milestones and checkpoints that you would have in a business. And yet I wasn't feeling good. And it reminded me of that breakdown I had in corporate, the same thing. The bank account looked good. The status looked good, but I didn't feel right, you know, and that was a huge reminder for me to recalibrate. So I actually took about three months sabbatical from my business mm-hmm. at that time to recollect myself and to kind of, again, get out of being in the business and start thinking about the business on a higher level way. And what I realized was that in order for me to grow a business that was really big at the time, you know, well, it was a medium sized business, but to me was a lot of managing a team. And what I realized is that I really hate managing people. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's something that is not, you know, for everybody. And I realized how much of my time was spent on training and spending on onboarding and spending on kind of looking over other people's, you know, like way of doing things. And I was also outsourcing a lot of what was my voice and what was the passion I had in my business to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge realization that I started to fall out of love with my business because I was less involved. Mm. You know, and so I'm not saying that we don't need a team. We need people to have a sustainable business. But what I found my sweet spot is for having a team is not to have people I need to train. It's mm-hmm. actually to be hiring really great contractors that were way better than me. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. they weren't an employee. They were, you know, like they were team members that got paid per project, but they weren't full-time people that I needed to, you know, figure out what they were doing every single week, you uh-huh. know? And I was at that point really realized that I really want to have a tiny but mighty business. Mm-hmm. I had no desire to build an empire. I didn't want an empire. I wanted a very cozy, intimate boutique style business that I can be very involved in, but it's scaled in a way, you know, that allows me to work less, but I can still continue to impact the way I want to impact. Mm. So I had to look at my systems. I had to look at how, what was taking up a lot of my time. I had to, you know, unfortunately let go of some staff members to be able to make that happen and turn some of them into freelancers and contractors for specific tasks, Mm -hmm. you know, but now, you know, fast forward to this year, um, I definitely enjoy how I feel in my business because now I get to take the time off that I can take. I get to move things around whenever I want to, and it doesn't require the mechanics of a big team to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've read Paul Jarvis's book called Company of One. 
No. It's a brilliant book about why sometimes a very tiny micro business is the way to go for some people who really value time, freedom, you know, flexibility and lifestyle choices. And that it doesn't mean that isn't generating large revenues. It means that you're just thinking about your business differently, that going big is not always the answer, you know, that mm. maybe a better business, how you do a better business is better than big. You know? Absolutely. I think it's a yeah. really, really important thing for people to look at. I get people saying all the time, oh, I need to hire staff. And for some people, it really isn't the way to go. You know, we are building our team in our business, but I do love to manage teams. I love having that team around mm. us and we're building it for a specific reason that's over and above, you know, just what we're doing in the business. It's for a bigger vision. But if you are wanting to have more time out, then actually bringing in contractors and freelancers to help you on projects is a much better way to go because having staff doesn't mean that they're going to take everything off your plate. It actually, totally. they, they will take some stuff off your plate. Don't get me wrong, but you still need to train them. You still need to, you know, you still need to drive the bus. You still need to be helping them. And it still takes a lot of time mm -hmm. to have those team members. So to be able to bring people in on a project basis, I think is a really, really great idea for a lot yeah. of Yeah. I mean, and I think I got, got more value, a more bang for buck in a lot of uh -huh, ways uh -huh. because I, I knew it would be done better than I imagined because they were experts. They were way better than I was and they weren't junior VAs and, you know, it was was really high level contractors that I can leave the project to and know it will be completed better than if I was to do it on my own, you know? Yeah. But I also think, you know, as coaches, sometimes when we look out there in the wild, wild west of the, the world wide web, <laughs> you know, it's easy to sometimes be only wanting to, or be inspired and comparing yourself that, you know, oh, the only way that I can call myself a successful coach is if I have a million dollar business or if I'm the next Marie Forleo or the next Tony Robbins or, you know, whoever is your person. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to redefine, you know, how we want to work in our coaching business, what's enough for mm -hmm. us, what's successful on our terms. And, you know, that's sort of, I think my biggest learning lesson is that I learned a lot from my mentors. I learned a lot from my influencers, but what mattered the most is that I can go to bed at night knowing that, you know, the, what, how, how I was operating my business was really in alignment, you know, with my choices, with my values, with my strengths and not doing anything that, you know, didn't make me feel good, you know, or stretch too thin in my business. Totally. So the time that you took this sabbatical and you took three months off, you, you mentioned that you really, you know, you sort of went into that higher level thinking. What are some of the things that you really looked at that were the things that you dug into that helped you make that decision of what is it, which way do I go? Mm. So first I took a bit of stock about what was causing me all this angst. Like, let, yes, I feel really stressed out and overwhelmed and I didn't feel good about making this money anymore, but what specifically was really causing me pain in the time I was spending on my business. And a huge part of it was these yearly launches of multiple products that I would have every year. You know, I would have a retreat. I would have, you know, smaller programs. I would have membership sites, you know, all these different models of a business, which was what helped me to generate really great revenue. But I also realized that in my personality type, I'm kind of a deep diver. Like I like to do one thing really well. Yep. And here I was sort of, you know, having 
multiple things to manage, you know, and be a part of every year. And the thought of like launch campaigns and, you know, these sorts of things you have to really plan for wasn't really actually my cup of tea. Like how I love to sell when I thought about my sales process, for example, it was never enjoyable for me through an automated email system. You know, it was always through real conversations with real people where I could know who I'm about to work with and you don't talk to them like it was very manual, nothing sexy about it, but it was certainly a much more human focused way that I wanted Mm -hmm. to market, you know, and Mm -hmm. that was more in alignment with my values, you know, Mm -hmm. and here I was spending so much time on funnels and, you know, all these things that, you know, are great for, they're not crapping on funnels here, but it wasn't me. That was all I was saying, you know, like a discovery call could be a funnel. That is a funnel. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't have to be automated, but a funnel is just a journey, a journey of how people connect with you. And I just needed to humanize it a lot more. You know, so mm-hmm. that was the first part that was like, I need to put more humanness into mm-hmm. my marketing and into my sales process. And then the second thing I really realized was that, as I said, I'm a deep diver girl. And here I was spreading myself in different stages, trying to help with a huge array of problems, which is really beneficial for my audience, but tiring me out. Mm. You know, so these days I really focus on one signature product, Mm -hmm. you know, that I actually started after that burnout. I said, I'm going back to one-on-one, the place that I feel the most peace and joy. And I just wanted to get myself back into joy again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was only offering one-on-one and it was with my, you know, previous signature program called 90 Day Launch. And then now it's evolved into 90 Day Launch Academy, which is sort of, you know, a, a bit of a hybrid around a framework and a course that I've created that helps me to scale my time with the learning process. But it also allows them to come on things like, you know, group coaching and co-working sessions. We even have, you know, we use the group as a staging area for people to practice their webinars and practice their voice and, you know, all these kind of cool things we're doing in communal learning and, you know, utilizing a collective intelligence of people to to work together on business launching. Now that allowed me to do more in that mm-hmm. community, you know, because it was one thing you can come and work with me on this one thing, but you're going to get a lot more because we're not doing any other thing for the rest of the year yeah. is this deeply and meaningfully. And that has felt not only amazing for me as a coach to do work this way and, and commit to this one thing really well, but it's also allowed my students and my clients to get more from me mm-hmm. because my attention is on one thing. Totally. Totally. I love that. I love that. So I believe that you have got a free resource for people that are listening to this and they're interested to learn more. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about (laughs) not building a business you don't want to keep. We want to build a whole, you know, and I think the best time to do it is when you're starting a business before you start to get real busy and make the mistakes that I made. And probably Samantha, you made too, which is like having to recalibrate when things got messy, right? In your business. And I think starting it from the get-go and really being intentional about how you want to design your business from the immediate, you know, the the starting stages, I think is the right place to do it. So I do have a free workshop called um, how to launch a business you love and specifically a business business designed from your strengths, your values, and your personality. So I teach the building blocks, the foundational building blocks of how you built this house that's going to be sitting on a solid foundation for your coaching business, for your service-based business, so that before you get out there and launch it and start doing the pretty things like marketing and branding, you actually really know what the heartbeat is in your business, how you want to attract clients, what you're really offering, what is your boundaries of your scope of work, and what are sort of activities that are more meaningful to focus on than just looking pretty, you know, making things look pretty in your business. So that might be a really good training to get started with. 
Absolutely. And we'll pop the link for that in the show notes as always. Lita, it's been so great to chat with you today and hear your personal journey around how you screwed the cubicle and have moved to the beautiful island of Bali, which is one of my (laughs) favorite places in the world. I can't wait till the planes start flying there again because I have very itchy feet saying But as we were speaking about before, at least we're stuck in beautiful places of the world and we're very blessed and lucky to be doing that. So thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. Number one, grab a free copy of the Thought Leaders Positioning Checklist over at samanthariley.global forward slash checklist. Number two, check out my inner circle for coaches, experts and change makers over at samanthariley.global forward slash inner circle. Or number three, connect with me to discuss how I can work with you on a more personal or a one-on-one level at hello at samanthariley.global. I look forward to hanging out with you here again on Thursday, right here on the Thought Leaders Business Lab.